The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Before we get started on today's show, we have to talk about the shampoo and conditioner that both Stephanie and I are loving right now. Oops, it's me. Stephanie and me are loving right now. Thank you so much for that. It's actually Stephanie and I, because yes, it is, because the way that grammar works is you go, you take away the first part. You wouldn't say the thing that me is loving. You would say the thing that I am loving. Oh, right. Yeah. So we're talking about way hair care and we're doing it. I thought I did that in my head. I messed it up. Okay. (laughs) We're doing a celebration of grammar and our partner at way hair care. We are such big fans of this brand. And, you know, Elizabeth and I always love when we get to partner with things that we're already obsessed with. And this is one of those things. Me likey. (laughs) Okay. So Way, you probably have heard of it because it was created by celebrity hairstylist Jen Atkin, who the New York Times calls the most influential hairstylist in the world. And I have to say, her products are so thoughtful. Yeah. They work. Yeah. And I'm influenced by them daily. Her mission was to create the first socially connected hair care brand to drive conversations and innovations in hair, to offer simplified hair routines and realistic hair goals you can actually achieve. I love it. I have so much hair. And I never know what to do with it. And I just want someone to tell me, this is the product that's going to make your waves happen. This is the product that's going to make it stick. And they have just curated it to such a degree. And it all smells so So good. good. So their new shampoo and conditioners, what stands out is that Way wanted to simplify how you shop for your daily hair care. So each formula is created to be a one and done solution for your hair type to give your hair the healthiest, most manageable hair ever. So for instance, their new shampoos and conditioner come in three options for fine, medium, or thick hair. Super simple. Tailored to maximize the health of your strands and tackle the biggest challenges for each hair type. Plus, guys, they're paraben and sulfite-free and they are having some eco-friendly packaging. So we're just like a big fan across the board. Major. So I'm using the medium. I'm assuming you're using the thick because you thick. (laughs) I'm thick for the summer (laughs) and for all the time. (laughs) So you can shop their new shampoos and conditioners for fine, medium, thick hair at The Way. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com. That means they spell it O-U-A-I. Don't forget to use the code retrograde and you'll receive three free samples with your order. Again, that's theway.com. Use retrograde, three free samples. We love everything. Yeah. Now play the jingle. Welcome back to That's So Retrograde. Hi. Assuming you've been here before. Welcome back or welcome for the first time. I'm Elizabeth Cott. Hello, Elizabeth Cott. I'm your good friend, Stephanie Simbari. You are my good friend. Mm -hmm. And we are going to kick off today's episode. I go, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. We're going to kick off. So over it. (laughs) We're going to kick off today's episode with a segment that we haven't yet to do in 2020. It's... Weekend wellness. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is uh, an important weekend wellness. This is fucking insane. And before we uh, key up the clip, I want to say it speaks to the topic of the show a little bit. The synchronicities of things, the interconnectivity of things. You know what's not wellness? 
your sunglasses being like that. Oh my God. You're so <laughs> annoying Elizabeth's about sunglasses this. are always face down. It's like, they're expensive. You're going to scratch the lenses. All right. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I fixed them. Thank you. You're welcome, Lespecs. Not sponsored. Open to it. We are Love constantly trying to define the word wellness. Look for a new one. You guys know that the artist formerly known as wellness is the next best thing right now. And we've talked about this in a lot of conversations that we've had off the pod. Most recently, we were on Dr. Judy Ho's episode. She asked us to define it. I always use the word alignment. Mm -hmm. And I am happy to go into that on another another date. But let's just play Oprah's uh, (sighs) definition. Should I play it right now? Yeah. Okay. And then we'll get into what happened. Okay. Here she goes. Hold on. So here's my definition of what wellness means to me. This is my definition, not yours. Just an idea because you're going to be defining it for yourself. Wellness to me means all things in balance. And balance doesn't mean all things are equal or at peace at all times. I mean, oh, okay. Okay. Oh, my God. So if you didn't hear... The fall heard around the world the over fall. the weekend. Oprah talking about balance. her definition of wellness being balance and then losing her balance. Falling off her. I mean, she fucking went down. It's scary. Addicted to synchronicities, as we always say on this show. And I can't help but see the... uh <laughs> the meaning of it all. I love Oprah so much. The it's, retrograde of it all. Somebody commented, some some people commented some wild shit on that video. But what I think is the best part of that, not that she fell, I'm happy she's okay. So we, happy we you're love, okay, girl. We love our queen. But the irony and the beauty is that things can never be perfectly in balance. So true. Like we can do our best to put things in a place that we feel comfortable with, but there's always that unaccounted for but ever-present element of the chaos of the universe. Mm -hmm. And we don't have any fucking control over that. And so I think that that just really speaks to... uh, The truth of life. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But she went the fuck down. I mean, I'm so sorry to see that. That was the first time I watched it. I wish that we had recorded it because I literally screamed because... It's upsetting to see it Oprah is. fall. I don't like seeing mom fall. Me That's either. Sad. It's She's, hard. I mean, um, but she knows spring chicken. She could break a hip. But what? Uh, I think this perfectly segues into today's conversation. Oh, does it? I'm yeah. curious to see how you're gonna how you're gonna make this. Well, turn. <laughs> we have Sasha Sagan joining us, who uh, wrote an incredible book. We're just gonna. How, why don't we just throw it to the conversation? Yeah. Go from there. Trust us, you guys. This conversation is so important and so special. But can I just say that? Before we drop in, she would hate this, but I will say that Sasha Sagan is my spiritual master and she's one of the most magical, divine people I've ever met. Sorry, Sasha. (laughs) I think you're spiritual. (laughs) I'm so excited for this combo. So today on the show, we have a very fun guest. We had the pleasure of seeing her do a live reading of her book at Book Soup in LA a few months back. And instantly fell in love. In love. Um, The voice you're hearing is that of Sasha Sagan. She has written a book 
called For Small Creatures Such As We, which I was just telling her I happy cried all the way through. That makes me really, really overjoyed. It's just so beautiful. It's I I immediately sent it to my mother to read because she will get into what the book is about, but she's very skeptical about spirituality and religion, but she's very into the thing. She loves a fact. She loves a fact. She loves a ritual. She loves, she would go to temple just because it was the thing to do. And so I felt like it was this beautiful bridge between the secular and the religious. To me, your book is very spiritual. Thank you. I think of it that way too. I just, you know, I feel like sometimes skepticism becomes cynicism. Mm -hmm. And I like to separate those things because I mean, spirituality, the connotation, right, comes from the word spirit. It has a religious connotation or at least a supernatural connotation. But I think that that, like, spine-tingling thrill when you, you know, see an image from deep space or realize that, like, you know— in your bloodstream is the DNA of your ancestors. All these things that are really like tangibly real and provable still can spark that feels feeling. magical. Exactly. When I think about the the DNA of like my entire bloodline being in my body, I want to weep. Same. I'm just like, <laughs> oh my god, that's so crazy and amazing and real. And yeah. whether you believe in it or not, it's testable, provable. You know, and I think that's what's so, so meaningful and that's what's so stirring to me. And sometimes I think those things, you know, we kind of malign facts as cold and hard and we have this idea that they're unpleasant or that they're too hard to understand or like it's just the, you know, cold, hard truth. But I think that's a matter of presentation. Right, because a lot of people, I want to talk about, you know, your background for a second so people don't, we don't get too far down the rabbit hole, but just to (laughs) say like, I feel that a lot of people who say that they're, like, atheists have a very, like, cynical and almost, like, dark relationship to all the— like, I don't believe in anything. I'm atheist. And it's just, like, you don't believe in anything? Like, it just feels so heartless to say it like that. Totally. And I think that—that's why I don't—people often ask me, like, how do you identify? And I think atheism (laughs) has, like, this militant— Idea and it also has this idea that like I know for sure that there is no specifically God, right? And agnosticism has this connotation of like, well, I could go it's either like way. Gentle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's kind of wishy washy, <laughs> and it's like I don't really care. You pick where we're going to dinner. I'm yeah. agnostic. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? yeah. And so I don't really identify with either of those, and I think of myself as secular. So my position is just I reserve belief without evidence. Love. And it's not that I say I know for sure that there is no this. I just think that until we have, you know, proof or at least, you know, an outcome from using scientific method to delineate between what we have evidence for, if there can be an experiment, if there can be a double-blind test that can allow the information to stand up to scrutiny, that's what I I feel like that's where I put my enthusiasm. And that's also where I derive the feeling of, you know, beauty and being part of the universe. So, but yes, it's hard. It's hard to describe sometimes. So I say I'm secular. That's that's my approach. That's cool. That's chill. <laughs> <laughs> I try. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Guys, let's take a time out from this wonderful conversation. We're talking evidence-based belief systems. Ooh. And guess what? I have evidence-based belief in our partner in Saqqara. Yes. I love what Hugest you did there. Fan. <laughs> Guys, if you're not familiar, Saqqara is a nutrition company that focuses on overall wellness, starting with what you 
eat. They have organic, ready-to-eat meals that are made with powerful plant-based ingredients, and they are designed to boost your energy, improve your digestion, get your skin glowing. All things. That's all I want less. Yeah. For that. Yeah. So along with delicious meals, Saqqara also has daily wellness essentials like supplements and herbal teas to help support your nutrition. To boost results, try the best-selling metabolism super powder. Steph and I are big fans. It's an all-natural remedy for bloating and weight gain and fatigue, and it's wonderful. It's so fun to look on their shop. We love the meals. Mm -hmm. I recommend for the gal on the go, the person on the go, the lunches. Well, I love the salads because it's like they're they're chef crafted, so they're inspiring. Mm-hmm. It's like they're putting together ingredients that you wouldn't think of, and it's not just like your average boring meal delivery thing. It's really well thought out and curated, and it's creative. I find after I do a week of it, it really informs how I'm preparing food for myself. That's what I'm saying. It like, well, totally helps with the reset. You're feeding your body with delicious food that nourishes it and also helps it thrive. And then you're like, I'm going to make those choices when I'm off menu too. Exactly. And you'll poop a lot. Yeah, for real. <laughs> so right now, Sakara is offering That's a Retrograde listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash retrograde. Enter the code retrograde at checkout. Again, that's S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash retrograde. 20% percent off your first order. Treat yourself. Yeah. Let us know how it goes. Let your friends know. Let us know. Yeah. Sakara.com slash retrograde. Bye. Back to the show. I know that the book was sparked from an essay that you wrote in the cut, correct? That's right. Talk a little bit about that whole. Who are you? Sorry, <laughs> Let's start there. This is your life. Yeah. Um, so in the cosmos. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so my parents, my dad was the astronomer and educator Carl Sagan, and he and my mom, Andrian, who's a writer and producer, together wrote dozens of books and essays and the original television show Cosmos, which aired on PBS in the 80s that my dad hosted. And their message together was really about the grandeur and beauty of science. You know, in a way that gives you that thrill. Exactly. As Fran Drescher would call them. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I just got goosey. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's really, really good. Yeah. And, you know, so that's how they raised me. I'm um, with like a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of joy for science. But on the other hand, science is missing something, which is, you know, holidays and cuisine uh-huh. and <laughs> expressions that you say when you break something. And like, you know, the kinds of things that make up what it's like to be alive and like, what do you do when a baby is born and when someone dies? And so the other part of our philosophy was a kind of secular Judaism because we are Jews. If I take a, you know, DNA test, speaking of DNA, it comes back and it's like, you are 99.999% Ashkenazi <laughs> Jew. And I'm like, I know. But I thought that was such an interesting thing that you said in the book. And I, I started talking about that with people a lot because I was like, holy shit, that's so true. Like, you can't test for Catholicism right, in your DNA. Right. But if you're Jewish, it comes up. Right. Well, because it's kind of this weird mix of like, and I think there are other groups that overlap between like a culture and a religion and, you know, an ethnic group or, you know, stuff like that. But Judaism has that lot of overlapping Venn diagram category. Yeah. And so we would have, you know, like Hanukkah and Passover, but we would do it in a secular way. And so that was sort of how I was brought up. And what does that mean? So like Passover, right, is the story of 
the Jews escaping from enslavement in Egypt, and it's the traditional theistic version is very much about the Jewish God, Yahweh, helping with the escape. And, you know, there's there's a Seder, there's a ritual dinner that is reliving this story. The secular approach, which is not just like, this isn't just my family, this is lots of people do it this way, is sort of reframing it as the idea that, you know, our ancestors were enslaved. That was horrible. We are free now. We should be very grateful. And other people are still oppressed, literally and metaphorically, by poverty and prejudice and racism and all these social ills. And if we take this moment to meditate on that and talk about it and examine it, maybe that can draw some action Mm -hmm. towards making the world a better place, combined with the idea that this is a springtime holiday. This is something, right? It does, it is connected to the natural event of the spring equinox and the idea that, you know. We made it. We made it. (laughs) Things looked really bad. It was close. Yeah, it was cold. It was brutal, (laughs) right? But by the skin of our teeth, we made it out, which I would argue is also the story of Easter. Yeah. Right? Things looked really bad. We thought we were big time screwed. But it came out okay. Well, it's no when coincidence all, that they happen at exactly. the same time. Exactly. And there's countless other holidays, different traditions, monotheistic, polytheistic, that are connected to what's happening in the natural world, mm-hmm. which I think it's what's so fascinating about that is the idea that underneath all of this, you know, theology and mythology, there is a kernel of something real, tangible, you know, and it's like whether you believe in it or not. If you live in the Northern Hemisphere, you know, around middle, end of March, like the days are going to start getting longer and we're going to reach the tipping point when we get to warmer weather, you know, and things like that where it's like, you know, it's true whether you— There's a scientific through line. Right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. So this is how I was brought up. And then when I was 14, my dad died, which obviously was horrible and really heartbreaking. And then I started on this sort of— I guess trying to figure out, well, then what do you, how do you deal with mortality mm-hmm. without faith or without a religious tradition that has a framework that says, okay, this is what you do. And there were elements of Jewish tradition that we, you know, did take into our mourning and grieving process, but it wasn't, we didn't have a narrative that was like, everything happens for a reason. Or you're going to see him again, or anything that is not supported by, you know, science. Exactly. What about the notion that energy is never destroyed? Well, I think that that's the kind of thing where our idea as human beings of what we consider like an identity or a person, I don't think that's the kind of energy that we talk about. And, you know, I'm not saying I know for sure that there's nothing on the other side of death but dreamless sleep. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) So, so good for the sunny person. That's a really dark read. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I'm not saying that. Um, So great news. (laughs) No, somebody described my book as surprisingly lighthearted. I thought that was a good compliment. But, like, you know, I'm just saying that I— we human beings have the tendency to fool ourselves and to tell ourselves stories that make us feel better. Yeah. And we've done it throughout time. And slowly but surely, as we've gathered more evidence, we've gotten a clearer picture of what's going on. So we may someday understand 
something more clearly about death. But when we do, it will be because we have studied it and, you know, examined it through the lens of the scientific method. And the good news is I think sometimes what we discover is more amazing than the stories that we have historically made up for Mm. ourselves. But so to answer your question from many minutes ago, the essay in the cut was about, I had this experience where my my parents' papers went into the Library of Congress in Washington, and I was extremely, I mean, it was a huge honor for, you know, it honored their work so beautifully, but there was like kind of an event for it. And there was like all this video of my dad, and I just like really had an extreme emotional reaction because I had this idea that like, oh, he's like living on in this, in the Library of Congress that will be there for generations. And it was like the actual experience of it was like being in a mausoleum. You know, and so I started, I had this, and I wasn't like working as a writer at the time, but I had this feeling like I have an essay in here and it has to come out. And and a friend was like, put me in touch with me, whatever. She connected me um, to someone and I wrote it and I felt a lot better. It was really a very selfish, cathartic experience. But to my astonishment, a lot of people who are either secular or you know, spiritual but not religious. Air quotes. Yes, air quotes, right, you know? Yeah. Like, which is a lot of people, or maybe are religious but have a little nagging doubt in some way about something that they were brought up with, responded to it. And so that was sort of what the first seedling of what the book eventually became. But because I am surprisingly lighthearted, I didn't just <laughs> want to write about death and mortality, so there's also parties in the book. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> Let's take a time out again, once again, to chill out and talk about a new partner that we're so excited about. So excited about this partner. Yes. We're talking about Feels CBD. That's Mm F-E-A-L-S. It's a premium CBD that you can have delivered directly to your doorstep. Mm -hmm. I love this brand. I'm obsessed. So the one thing that really, obviously Stephanie and I experience a lot of different items in the CBD world. And the thing that really stood out to me in trying this product was how they provide a guide for how dosage should work for you. And they really work with you to figure out like what works. So they say to place a few drops of feels under your tongue and feel the difference within minutes. What they did is they provide this little flight when you order it and you can try, it's three different dosages with a different milligram. Mm -hmm. And they say like, this is for during the day. This is if you want to try to sleep. This is if you really want to try to sleep. Mm -hmm. And you can test it out and then see how it works without a huge investment. You're able to try it. And they talked to us about how they really created the product to be more rich with CBD. And I love that. I love the flavor of it. It has a very earthy taste to it. Also, they have a free CBD hotline to help you guide through the discovery (laughs) process. So it's like they're holding our hand. They're helping us. They ship it directly to our doorstep. It's a whole new, natural, healthy, better way to do your CBD. It's the one that I keep in my car. We're talking about feels, you guys. You should go over to feels.com. That's F-E-A-L-S.com slash retrograde. And you're going to get 50% off your first order with free shipping. Yeah. What? Try it out. 50%? So when you become a member, you're going to get 50% off. So we say try it. 
Let us know how it goes. We love it. We're using it. Now back to the show. And if you can get your hand on one of their sweatshirts, even better. (laughs) (laughs) I think that you're right. You know, a lot of us don't want to admit that the reason why we cling to spirituality or religion is because it gives us a reason to explain the unexplainable or a connection to something that we can't wrap our minds around. And for me, that was my intro Hmm. to spirituality. Like, I had a friend who died in a drunk driving accident when I was in high school. I'm sorry. It was horrible. And I spent months pondering where the fuck she could have possibly gone. Right. I didn't understand. And to me, that was my first—that's when I started reading— spiritual books because I was like, well, there must be some answer in here. Right. Because I didn't connect. I never connected with like God Almighty. Right, right. Because I was raised Jewish and then my dad was Catholic. So there was a lot of God in my Catholic family, not so much in the Jewish family. Right. None of them were giving me the answers that I sought. And that was, you know, so many years ago and I'm still like yeah I really don't fucking know well that's the thing yeah we don't know and I think it's okay to admit that to ourselves and to tell our children you know when they ask like deep philosophical questions that we don't know and I think that there's something you know this conundrum of like here we all are walking around animated doing our stuff and then it goes away. Yeah. Where does it go? Right. When and we don't know sometimes it happens slowly, sometimes it's instantaneous. Mm-hmm. We don't know when. And we don't know why. And we don't know and why. And the why is the hardest part. And it's torturous. Mm-hmm. It tortures us. Yeah. Right? It's very difficult. But at the same time, it's like, well, imagine if if we all lived forever, this would not be such a special thing. Also, it would be gross because we'd be like tiny little dust particles Raisin. by the very, end of it. Very crowded. <laughs> it would be very crowded in here. So smelly. Yeah. There's a lot of reasons why um, it's probably best that we're not, you know, immortal beings. But I think it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the list goes on. But I think that that, that question is what haunts us and, the, and our discomfort with not knowing. Yeah. And, like, a lot of of what I write about in the book is, like, my parents really instilled in me the idea of that it's central to scientific understanding is this idea of tolerating ambiguity. Mm. And, like, we have this very strong urge to just put an answer in in that hole that sometimes we have to leave it open until we know. And that is so hard. Mm -hmm. And uh, you wrote you wrote about how like one of the greatest pleasures of your childhood is when your parents would say they didn't know. Totally. If I could ask a question, um, like that they didn't have the answer to, I, it was like gold star. <laughs> yeah, like that's so cool. Well, and it, they were so excited. And like, and <laughs> to give you an idea how old I am, in those days we would go to the Encyclopedia Britannica. Oh yeah. And you know, it was like this the secular but still holy and sacred ritual of like yeah. looking things up and putting the puzzle pieces together. And it's not like that encyclopedia, you know, the 19-whatever-81 edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica is the end-all, be-all answer right. of we have come a long way since then. And, you know, that was very narrow and male and white at that time even. But it was this this idea of the pursuit of more information. Yeah. And, and being honest with ourselves when we didn't know. Yeah. I love that. You talk a lot about rituals in the book. And about how, you know, the broader strokes idea of that is, as you said, like our time here is so short. So the rituals add like some zest to the day-to-day experience. 
Absolutely. And I think there's two parts. I think one is exactly what you said. It's like having a moment to be like, wow, this is really special. Or like, you know, it's cold and dark, but we are making a party and we're going to put lights up and we're going to do these things and we're going to make things a little bit more special and take a moment to stop and process the change. Mm -hmm. I think that that is really the through line of so many rituals is whether it's time of year, daily ritual, like, you know, sunrise, we're up for the day, it's a new day, this is a change, or these huge permanent changes in life, a baby is born, a child comes of age, somebody dies, you know, these things where it's like a one-way street, you know, and I think that there's just so, so many different elements of life that are, if we didn't have a system to sort of examine them and in some cases celebrate them, in some cases grieve, I think it would be a lot harder and a lot more intense to just go through the experience of being a person. Right. Well, I think what it kind of inspires is like not only an acknowledgement, but a sense of wonderment. Yeah. And to just be able to have wonderment without then like assigning meaning to it is challenging. It is challenging. And I, I mean, I struggle with it too. I mean, like the, the coincidences is something that I'm like, is a big element of this, right? Like Like synchronicities. Yeah. Like everybody has had these moments where not just the, like, you're thinking of a friend and they call or text, but like the, like, holy shit, this is so crazy. Like I am running into my childhood friend in a village in the remote, whatever, you know, like those things where you're just, it's so hard to not feel like, is this a clue into a greater understanding of what's going on here? And I think my yeah, would love your would love your feedback yeah. on this. So two things. One is I think human beings are really good at pattern recognition. This mm-hmm. is one of our greatest strengths. I am making arbitrary random sounds right now, but you know what I mean because we have pattern recognition and we've all agreed these sounds have meanings. Right. And we, you know. <laughs> what if all of a sudden all I heard was a noise? <laughs> like, I'm nodding, but I don't know anything that you're saying. It's like completely garbled. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, we have, you know, math, music, all of these elements of human existence are because we're really good pattern recognizers. But we're so good that I think sometimes we see patterns where there aren't any. Mm. And you heard that you didn't run into him because you're meant to be together. Okay. It's a mathematical equation. Well, yes. And I think it's still, so what would be really wild is if it never happened, right? If you never, you have X many thousands of thoughts a day and you, whatever, 10, 15 people write you, whatever it is, if it never lined up, that would be really weird. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think there's another part of this, too, which is I still think it's amazing and worthy of celebration. And, like, those moments that, like, you know, everybody probably has three or four where you're like, this was so astonishing that these circumstances lined up and will haunt me for the rest of my life. Right. You know, I think that's still something to, like, celebrate and talk about. And, like, I don't, like, I I love those stories. I want to hear those stories. But I think that when we assign meaning to it, it's because we're so eager to have an understanding of what the future holds, what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to manage through life, right? And it's like, right, you run into the ex-boyfriend or whatever it is, and you're like, is this a sign, right? Yeah. And it's like, but the thing is, if you're not, if you weren't ever that into him, 
you don't think it's a sign. You're just right. like, oh, like that's this so annoying. Guy. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Like, and it's like, it's a reflection of what we feel and hope and fear. The more that I get into all this stuff, the more that I kind of think as spirituality, just as like quantum reality. Mm, interesting. It's like, really, it is that like, if you just start, if you start saying things and putting things out there, like that's going to get reflected to you and you're going to be like creating that with you know, like I think of it like that more and more than like magic because I want to be able to be the person in this space who is like, yes, but you're not a witch. You're just like, <laughs> manifesting through quantum physics. Well, the, well, okay. So a couple of things. One is I think our idea, right? Like so the idea of the of a witch, yeah. right? This is from a time when the tools we had to understand were so weak and so we and we were so afraid and women had and we weren't so, allowed to be right, women exactly women had so little power and so you know the idea of understanding things or you know unexplained the crop fails and there must be this old lady who doesn't like live within the bounds of society whatever it is sad. And it's yeah it's really sad and uh, I mean it really it's a heartbreaking and there's and the those were real people who really lived, who really got tortured by their community for no good reason. Yeah. And I think that there are elements of like, you know, if you set your mind to something, you're more likely to do it than if you are like a, you know, big procrastinator, which I'm definitely guilty of in my life in yeah. certain ways. But I don't, again, reserving belief without evidence, I don't know if that's because something else is going on or just because difficult things take effort. And if you don't have a vision of what you want to do, it's hard to get there. And it's also we're very, I mean, myself included, we are very good at counting the hits and not the misses, right? When you envision something and it comes true, it's very easy to be like, Oh, I nailed that. And when it doesn't quite come together, it sort of falls away in our statistical understanding of our powers. Right. Wait, I want to talk about this more. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, because we talk a lot about like manifestation yes. and like I listen to a lot of like Esther Hicks and like I'm into yeah, that what, stuff. Let's just like but bring Esther it down, Hicks boil it down. What is Esther Hicks to you? I I don't know that. So her— Okay, so it's—Esther Hicks is—a channel is coming through her. Named Abraham. Named Abraham, and she's claiming that Abraham is giving her this information, and it's basically she speaks to the law of attraction. He, they, speak to law of attraction. And—but Esther claims that this is not coming from her mind. But she's also incredible, and if you listen to her, everything she's saying is, like— Truth. Dead ass truth. Like when she gives people advice, you're like, fucking A, that is like solid, like applicable reality. But her whole thing is like about vibration. Okay. So because I don't know her work, I feel like I should not speak (laughs) to her. But to me, you know, people, there are people who are very insightful and can give great advice and have, you know, very deep emotional intelligence and whether or not there's something else beyond that going on, the only way to find out is to do some kind of double-blind test to figure it out and to have somebody who isn't does not have a horse in the race right. examine her. And, you know, there are people like um, James Randi, the amazing Randi, who is like kind of a magician illusionist, but also a debunker who would go around like talking to like 
when like psychics were like a big part of culture and like, you know, people who were purporting to have this kind of supernatural power and just saying like, let's just test it. Let's just figure out, you know, how we can separate what we want to be true, what feels good from what is evidence-based. Because I think the advancements that we've made as a species have been because we are able to separate what stands up to scrutiny from what doesn't. And like astrology, which I do not subscribe to, I know that's We're going to get really, into this in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> really controversial on this podcast. And I want to say I am so grateful to be invited to talk here because I don't want to just talk to people who already agree with me or see things the way I do. And so I'm so delighted to be able to, you know. As are we. So yeah. you, I heard you you say of astrology that it's because we want to feel like we have a role in the grandeur of the world. Yes. I think that there is. I'm a Scorpio and I'm triggered. No, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. No. Um, so astrology and astronomy used to be one thing. Yeah. Right. For most of history, those things were connected. And the people who studied the the movements of the planets, you know, phases of the moon, also connected that to the behavior of human beings on Earth. The Elizabethan era. Yes. And, and before. Yeah. Hey. And, hey, Betsy. And, and, yeah. and like, you know, going back to ancient times. Yeah. And at some point, those two ideas diverged because there were certain things that could stand up to scrutiny that could be examined and whether or not you were communicating with somebody else who was also studying it, they were getting the same results. Right. Versus different people in different places who are not in communication, having different reactions and different approaches. And so I think that both of those areas of interest come from this idea that is so powerful that I connect to so deeply of wanting to feel our place in the universe and wanting yeah. to understand how we're on this little planet, we're going around this star, there is infinite, or not infinite, but there is a lot out there that we have not not able to put our hands around yet. And slowly but surely, we get a little more information, a little bit more information, and it makes us feel smaller and smaller and smaller. And so we want to feel like the huge vastness is personal to us. Yeah. Because it's really hard to not have like the existential crisis of like, it's like we're on a tiny rock and we're going to die and everything is going to die and the sun's going to explode and good night. I mean, it's Absolutely. Like, <laughs> that's it, right? That's it. Okay. <laughs> See, surprisingly uh, lighthearted. No, but like I, and it's like, that is so intense and it's so hard. But what's so amazing is that there are provable scientific you know, information that is like every cell in your body came from a star. It's much older than the solar system. We have like, there are real elements that whether you believe in it or not, like you, there's, you know, people who have no horse in the right, or maybe, I mean, I guess everybody has a horse <laughs> in some race, but people who are studying this with the pursuit of trying to get a steep and understanding of possible are revealing. And, you know, over the last century or so have revealed Things that sound made up because they're so beautiful and stirring. That were made of stardust. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It sounds totally 
over the top like a fairy tale, but it's real. And yeah. so I think sometimes when we let our preconceptions go and we just follow the evidence, we end up in Being a place dazzled. Yeah, in yeah. a place that's almost more astonishing than the stuff we had before. But point counterpoint. Yes, please. For astrology. Yes. Because I do hear the the argument against it and yet get that it's like not provable. And, but when I hear certain people, like I, I know a, a one person who consistently like only speaks in that language and it's like so irritating. Which like what language? Astrology. Astrology Where language. they'll be like, well, you know, cause I'm this and you're that. And when, you know, you're like in, cause you're Mars and Libra and this, and I'm just like, it's a lot. <laughs> and I just can't be communicating like that to that depth because it sounds insane. Yeah. To me, yeah. who is a believer, I'm yeah. like, okay, we're taking this to a place that's like, you just should go see a therapist. Oh. This is out of control. However, I will say that, like, this wasn't something that I was grew up around at all. Like, right. you know, I it was introduced to me in my adult life. And the thing that made me shift as far as being a believer is concerned and why I feel it is important for people to at least have their chart read once in their life by a good astrologer is because it's weird— call it a coincidence, call it whatever you want, how certain elements of your chart will illuminate a space where you live, where you've been in the dark about and you haven't understood. And I was at in so many different odds with myself about like, why am I so outgoing but can't confront people? And then why am I so strong but so sensitive? And all these things that were for me felt like a conflict. Once I was given the map of my chart, I was like, okay, this is just what I'm made of and I can like navigate through information now. Okay, so I think there's a couple of elements going on here. I mean, the desire to be seen, yeah. to feel seen. Yeah. I mean, to really know for sure though, I mean, maybe if you had a tone, you've told them, let's say a totally different birthday. It happened to me. This has happened be, before. And how did it go? It was, they were I like, like, you're supposed right. to be a lawyer. Yeah. The whole thing and stuff. And I like record scratch. You're like, huh? I was like, wait, when's my birthday on that chart? And she's like, November 3rd, 1982. I was like, and you're three years off. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and she was like, your mom is going through this thing. I was like, this is the first time I've ever had my chart read where it was like clearly wrong. So, I mean, this the Double question blind. is, right, right, <laughs> but the question is, right, but that's one person's experience. And yeah. the question is, like, could we do, I mean, I don't know how, how who would fund this, but like a huge. <laughs> that's a retrograde production. Yeah, like a huge, like, study yeah. of this kind of thing. And, like, the feeling of, like, wanting to be seen and, like, wanting to be heard. And are you, like, face-to-face with people when you're having these, this done? Ordinarily, yes. Okay. And it's, like, I do think, and I'm not. Like, I, I don't want to say, like, anyone's, like, a charlatan. And I think a lot of people who are We've doing, come across charlatans, so you can—that that does exist. <laughs> they do exist. Yeah. Yes, that's We're true. not here but to— I, I guess it's, like, somebody who is really— Intuitive. Really intuitive and really good at noticing the little facial expressions that we all make and that, you know, you withdraw a little bit when you hear something, you lean in when you hear something else— and maybe it's not even conscious that there's, I'm going to really trick this lady. You know what I right. mean? It's just, and they feel like they are providing a real service. I'm sure a lot of people do. I just think that that is different than taking thousands of people, having them fill out a long survey that the astrologer does not get to see, you know, dozens of astrologers and giving them birthdays and having them do it right. and see how many match up in a real, like, statistical way 
I think that, and and there's another element too, which is if you're told, not necessarily all your life, but from the time you're, let's say you get into it when you're 25 or something like that. Right. And you're told, well, you're a Scorpio, so it becomes part of your identity. Right. And as you make decisions and as you, and you give yourself, you know, let yourself off the hook for stuff because you're like, oh, well, I'm a Scorpio, so I can't, or you say, oh, I've got to really do this. And it becomes self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. Which, you know, it would be... I don't know how you would do an experiment to tell, never tell someone their birthday all their life or something. <laughs> right. yeah. Like how you would do we that. We do a control group right, of right. people who we're, just don't know when they're and born. they're all totally traumatized <laughs> because they can't tell out any They've never celebrated a birthday yes, in their totally, whole life. Right, exactly. And they don't know. And they can't have like a passport. Um, but, <laughs> but it's, it's for like, science. Right, yeah. exactly. I'm sure people would be really into that. Some um, people are um, organ donors. You're yeah, a birthday yeah, donor. Yes, perfect, perfect. Yeah. But I I think that, you know, the only way we can know for sure is taking out all the variables. Right. And it's really hard to do that. And it's not to say, you know, if if you even for a number of years, you see yourself a certain way, it does change you. And, you know, it does. You can move in that direction. And listen, if it's real, if it's to- if it really does determine who we are, there will be evidence, right? There will be proof in the pudding, you know? There will be statistical evidence. And that's the thing. Like, all the things that we've moved, you know, over time that we've moved from, like, a magical or religious explanation into a scientific explanation— you know, like mental health is a big one. People thought people were possessed. People thought people right. were like, you know, had the devil in them and all of these things when they were, you know, schizophrenic or they had a, a right. seizures, they were epileptic or, you know, a whole host of other things. I mean, in Salem and places where people were put on, you know, where there were witch trials, there there's um, evidence that the fungus in the wheat that the town's eating adolescent girls, are it was like, Mushrooms. They were gluten intolerant. No, <laughs> yeah. no it was like they're, they were tripping. They were tripping, and teenage girls are, were more prone to it. And they were. My husband actually took a class on this in college, and it's very fascinating. But and and wow. and so they were. They thought their arms were on fire, and that so and so who lives by herself in down the you know, at the edge of town must be responsible. And then they would, you know, everyone in the town would work themselves up into a froth. And the next thing you knew, you were setting some old lady on fire. Fuck. And, and yeah. And it's like, you know, as we've moved to where we have explanations for more things, you know, some of them are really heartbreaking situations like that. But some of the things that we understand more deeply Like, let's say, you know, volcanoes. People thought that the gods were mad at them. And when, you know, and I mean, imagine how horrible that must have felt. Right. And we didn't do anything. Right. Or we're trying our best or we sacrificed the wrong animal or we did this wrong and you hate us and we're sorry. And then we get to a place where we understand, you know, tectonic plates or, you know, with earthquakes and like, you know, all of these elements of the way things actually work in the drawback is that for many people, the wonder went away and the sense of awe. And of course, you know, a natural disaster is frightening. But I think by studying something and really knowing it deeply and how it works is a way of honoring it. Mm-hmm. It's well said. I really like that. I always do wonder like about astrology, even though I am like a very big believer in it. I always do wonder. I'm like, well, who decided that Mars is the planet of war? 
Well, it's because the Romans named it after their war god. Okay, so here we go. <laughs> so then, but then who, then how is it like energetically proven that that's factual? Well, my position would be that it's, it's not. not. <laughs> right, like, because like Mercury is in retrograde right now and that rules communication and like. But do you ever think like that, that people, if they believe in this and they are like, do you think when they know that there's something like that going on, that it changes their behavior because they're aware of it rather than because it's actually physically affecting them? I certainly I think, think it can. That it's probably both. I mean, if we assume that it's real, but there's definitely the element of like, well, it's retrograde, so everything's fucked. And then people just like start fucking themselves, yeah. basically. <laughs> And if you, I, I recently in like the last couple of years was like, I'm not going to assume that it's going to be bad. Hmm. And I do notice there's like some hiccups and maybe I'm more aware of them because I right. framed it as such, but it's not creating like a level of stress that's insurmountable because I haven't pre-decided that that's going to be the case. So yeah. And for anything, I mean, that's like anything that is stressful and right. imminent, right? Assuming that it's going to go really poorly doesn't help, <laughs> you know? Right. In fact, I mean, can make it actually be that. Right. Exactly. And whether you believe or not, if you're secular, if you're spiritual, if you're a devoutly religious, surely going into a stressful situation being like, this is going to be brutal is not helpful. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because then you just, yeah. So your book I heard described as part memoir, part guidebook, part social history. So curious in doing your research, what was the coolest discovery? Oh, this is such a good question. I really, I, okay, I, the coming of age rituals around the world really were so beautiful to me and were such, you know, a lot of ritual I think of as like a performance art piece, sure. right? Mm. You know, even a wedding, even a, even a wedding at a courthouse, you know, no frills. It's still this, this idea of you're getting up on, you know, a small stage and you're saying these words, this script, and you're transformed and you wear, sometimes you wear a special costume. And if you have a big wedding, then you have an audience. And it's, it's this, this performance that we do. And that has sort of has a negative connotation like, oh, well, it's not real. But I think it's beautiful, this idea that we're acting out what we hope, what we wish, what we love, what's meaningful to us, what we're deciding to do. And so the rituals that I researched that got me the most excited were the ones that felt like that, that felt like these little miniature plays about what was really happening. And the one that I mm. love so much is off the, in Vanuatu, in the island of Vanuatu in the South Pacific, it's like a thousand miles off the coast of Australia, I think. And so like they do this thing called land diving where Men do it, but you, and you climb to the top of, a, you know, there's like a platform in the trees and you like wave to your, you know, community and they cheer you on and you tie pliable vines to your ankles and you jump off and they act as a bungee cord. And when young men do it for the first time, this is their coming of age ritual. And it's like, that is growing up, right? You're, it's, you have to jump off a tower. It's basically getting up on the Bima. <laughs> yes, exactly. It is. Yeah. And all of the things that are like that and around the world, there are so many different variations. But what's so thrilling to me and so beautiful is like that, you know, every 
bar mitzvah, every quinceanera, every super sweet 16, like that is all about a biological change. Mm -hmm. A child is going from being a child to being able to produce children. Except on my bar mitzvah, I wouldn't get my period for two and a half more years. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't always line up perfectly, for sure. I mean, we've all seen like, you know— Puberty comes at different times to different people, and it doesn't line up perfectly. But there is this idea that, like, the society will go on. The group will go on. You know, you're now an adult, and you will carry us forward. Yeah. And it's because your hormones are changing, and you're getting, like, crazy sexual desires (laughs) and weird hair, and you're mad at your parents all the time, and, like, all this stuff that is, like, totally— scientifically explainable with chemistry and biology. And it's still amazing and beautiful. And it still like brings a tear to your eye when you see someone who you saw as a child, a little baby up in this position of adulthood. It is so incredible that that is acknowledged throughout cultures in really such a different way, but also it's so similar. Absolutely. And it's often like you have to do something kind of scary. I mean, the in Vanuatu, it's maybe an extreme if you're afraid of heights, but like public speaking, I think for a lot of people is more scary than heights, you know? Absolutely. Learning Hebrew. <laughs> what the hell is that? Totally. That was a that was a cliff I had to jump off of. Yeah, exactly. And I just think that kind of stuff, like when you can peel away the specifics, honor them, like celebrate them, see the beauty in them, but still look underneath to see what's really going on and find something that's, you know, true for human beings around the planet and throughout time. That's so beautiful to me. Yeah. What an excellent lens to view the world through. Thank you. Thanks for enlightening us with with your book, it is really such a special piece. We're so excited that you're here. I mean, it's the most spiritual book I've read in a while, so I don't know what you think, but <laughs> that means so much to me. And really, thank you both for having me on. I really, you know, I don't want to just preach to the unconverted. So it really means a lot to be able to talk to you guys and your audience. Thank you for coming and giving us a chance. I feel like that's <laughs> we're we're just arm in arm, <laughs> opening the space up. I love it. I yeah. love it. And we have to give honorable mention to your friend, Amy Rosoff Davis, who connected us. Yes, a friend of the show and a lifelong friend of me. (laughs) So great. Thank you so much. Oh, tell our listeners where they can find you and all of that fun stuff. Oh, yes. My book is called For Small Creatures Such As We, and it's available wherever you buy your books. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Sasha Sagan. Beautiful. Guys, read the book. It'll make you cry and make you feel things in your heart and make you feel so happy to be alive. Yeah, bring it into your book club. It's a really good Ooh. discussion starter one. I love that That's idea. a really good piece of advice. Cool. Thanks so much. Thank you. Before we get into Roses and Thorns, I have a question. Oh, what is it? What is your sock wellness plan? Okay. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you're asking me that because I feel like my whole life has kind of been a dance of sock wellness. I have notoriously had bad sock wellness. Well, it's you're like, talking about mismatches. Mismatches, just one sock here, one sock there, yeah. multiple drawer takeover. I mean, the shway of it has been drama. Yeah, it's drama. But I'm trying. I know. To recalibrate. Well, I always recalibrate in the face of new socks that I'm excited about, Same. which is why I'm so stoked to be partnering with Bombas because they are so fun and also uh, effective. Like I got two different kinds. I got the patterned like mid calf sock, which girl, you know, I love. Loves a quirky sock. Loves a quirky sock. It was really funny (laughs) because 
we both ordered some and we like ordered them together because we're cute like that. Yeah. And yours were like fun and quirky and like just like personality socks and mine were like black no shows. <laughs> <laughs> I got a couple of no shows though because you need those for your sneakers. Of course. Always. Always. But guys, Bombos are really great. They're the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. I really, really feel that way. They're made from super soft, natural cotton and every pair comes with arch support, a seamless toe and a cushioned footbed that's comfy but not too thick. And it's crazy that the technology of a sock is real, but it really, it really, really is. is. And here's the my favorite part of all the land when it comes to Bombas. Every pair of socks we buy at Bombas donates a pair to mm. someone in need. That's amazing. It's just, that's worth the price of admission right there. A hundred percent. So if you buy your Bombas at bombas.com, that's B-O-M-B-A-S.com slash retrograde, you will get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S.com slash retrograde for 20% off bombas.com slash retrograde. Make your feet happy. Make your heart happy. Go over to bombas.com slash retrograde. Now let's play uh, the Roses and Thorns jingle, shall we now? We've got roses and thorns. Woo, do roses we ever. Elizabeth, why don't you start? Because I feel like you've been having a tough time. Mm, I'd rather you start. Oh, <laughs> okay. I have I have multiple roses. One is personal and one is collective. Okay. All right. My personal, well, it's kind of a rose, but it's kind of a thorn, but it's mostly just a funny story. So uh, to keep the conversation going on online dating to phone conversations to FaceTime. Which is becoming the subplot of the show. Yeah. Really, at this point. This is the theme of the season. <laughs> We're all, you know, trying to connect in a retrograde, looking for love, trying to get fingered. You know the drill. Totally. Um, <laughs> everyone's like, please stop saying fingered. I'm like, I can't. Okay. So I'd been talking on Raya to this guy for a month. The one that was just here for friends? No. Different. Okay, That's a different it. person. Okay. That person I'm no longer talking to because... I think it's very odd that someone just wants to make pen pals on a dating app. We're good. Mm -hmm. um, also, you're a famous rapper. This is weird. <laughs> this is not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about uh, another person. So we were talking back and forth in the month of January. And then I, we were traveling. He was traveling. So it just kind of wasn't like syncing up. Then I find out that he lives in the South Bay. And I'm like, this is never going to work out. Long distance. Yeah. So I just kind of like backed up and was like, if this guy like wants to come to like LA proper and like have a date, like we'll figure it out. But it just wasn't like, there was no forward momentum, but we were still talking and it was like, kind of, I felt like it would go somewhere eventually. Anyways, last week I'm like, okay, if you want to hang out on Wednesday or whatever, why don't you just, here's my number, give me a text and we'll like work this out off of the app. Because you can't really like uh, on app plans, are, they're not real, right? It's just weird because then you can't you have you're you're constantly like checking it to see if someone wrote you back. Because I don't have like push notifications for my dating apps because right. like I'm trying to have literally everything on Do Not Disturb. So I give him my number. He texted me last night, and I'm like in my house, just smoked weed, about to go. I smoke weed on Mondays now, guys. It's my thing. About to it's the moon day. It's this, <laughs> the most chill day of the week. Anyways, so I'm about to go to yoga and he texts me and asks me how my day is. And then I'm like, I'm about to go to yoga. And then he says, so then I <laughs> basically we talk and then I like roguely, I'm like, so do you want to give me a ring? And we can see about Wednesday, like trying to drop the phone call in. And then yeah. he's like, yeah, let's do Wednesday. I'll be driving from San Diego sometimes Wednesday. And then I'm like, 
okay, I have a couple of appointments on Wednesday. And I tell him like, when definitely not to call me. And he's like, wait, what day is that? And I'm like, Wednesday. Is that not what you meant? Wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm high. <laughs> I had to tell this stranger that I was like too stoned to be texting him about plans. <laughs> And then he's like, I'm not sure what you're talking about, Re Wednesday. And then I just never responded <laughs> until this morning. And I was like, I'm really flexible. What are you thinking? So my attempt to get someone to call me has been thwarted and we have no plans. <laughs> Everything was a fail completely. But except for the fact that I was completely like, this is what you're going to get if you end up dating me is a stone person unable to text you. So call me or... I don't know what to, I like just living in your truth. It was, what else I is was there to do? Laughing so much to myself. I'm like, I have to tell this stranger that I'm too high to make a plan right now because I don't like just dropping off. Right. So I felt like it was more honest to be like, there's a reason for this logistical confusion. And I didn't want to be like retrograde in my right because I don't like leading with my astrological personality. Sure. I think that's a little bit of like a red flag. Um, so that's my report on attempting to get a call and a FaceTime in. Well, epic fail. Let us know. I think it's good. Yeah, no, you got to try. It's going to work. You got to see, you know, the failures lead to wins. Yeah, I think um, I think we'll work it out. But I just thought that was so funny because now we're not talking at all. Um, My other rose is funny uh, society rose. I love the society. I'm a society girl. Hit me with it. Barbie. Have you heard of her? Yes. Remember her? Yeah. She was controversial. Yeah. But also a favorite. I never, I never, young self never caught on to the controversy. I just liked playing with their hair, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, my, I never understood it until I got older. I don't think that Barbie was like my body reference necessarily because I was just like, it's a doll. And I was so short to begin with. There was just no comparison. And I was like, I love flat shoes. Like, yeah. I don't want to be her in any way. But I did cut their hair and like give them piercings and make them fuck Ken's. I made them fuck each other. You did? Oh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Oh, my God. So <laughs> our barbers were just fucking. There is. I do want to say I before I want to shout out this documentary called Tiny Shoulders yeah. that I talked about when it came out how in 2018 or whenever it was. Such a good, amazing documentary about uh, the influence of Barbie and yeah. all the things that went into it. Anyway, continue. Anyways, speaking of Barbie's influence. Speaking of her influence and her cultural relevance and the ongoing conversation that Barbie has been in our culture over the this time, uh, Barbie has partnered with Headspace and is the meditation app meditating in her room with the help of Headspace online. You can watch her go through it with Digital Barbie, or you can purchase Breathe with Me Barbie, who is the chillest Barbie you've <laughs> ever seen. She has sitting in her legs crossed. Dead. I'm obsessed. Yeah, she has a cool like moon necklace on, and she's just like keeping it fucking chill. You can press her necklace for the guided headspace meditation. <gasps> so this is really teaching we young girls one. to meditate. I know. Look at her. Breathe with me, Barbie. Oh, my gosh. I'm loving the succulents. And then you see this, the packaging. This little I feel thing. It's like you put in her hand the mood that she's feeling after she meditates. So is it cloudy? Is it angry? Is it love? Is it sunny? Like This is incredible. Isn't this amazing? I want. So... Yeah. Capitalism I mean, is alive and well in the wellness industry, everybody. Well, if you have a little 
girlfriend or a little boyfriend in your life or a child who you're trying to introduce to the concept of self-care, Barbie, of self-care, <laughs> holler at one of these Breathe With Me Barbies. Should we get one and do an unboxing? Yes. Oh my God, I'm going to order us one right now. Okay, perfect. Oh cool. my God, this is amazing. Wow. Okay. That's that's Isn't major. That cool? I love that. Yeah. That's, that's a huge win. I learned about that in my For the mindfulness today. world. Yeah. So great. I'm tar- is Target where we buy it? Let's see. So I'm like, we're not, Elizabeth's like, we're not talking about how we're shopping for it on the <laughs> podcast. Just figure it the fuck out. Um, yes. Well, I was going to go through my rose and thorn mm-hmm. of the current week. Okay. I don't really know where to start with I this. felt like we just gave it a moment of silence. <laughs> I know. Well, it deserves one. So this particular retrograde mm. really uh, stopped me in my tracks, so to speak. Well, in a V major In a literal way. way. A literal way. So why don't you tell our friends what's been happening? I uh, got my car stolen out of my driveway last week. What, girl? Yeah. So here is the run of show, so to speak. <laughs> okay. We went to the delightfully entertaining Mystic Butt show over at El Cid. Loved that. Loved it. Came home. Mm-hmm. It was garbage night. Brought my trash cans out to the street, mm-hmm. went into my house, went upstairs to, you know, check check on any other trash or recycling that could make it downstairs. Did that. Went to the, Joey came home just after me. We went to the back. We had more recycling from like a big box. So I did all that. Went inside, went to sleep, probably watched Vanderpump Rules, went to sleep, you mm-hmm. know, the whole thing. Normal. Wake up the next morning. To go to my Wednesday Y7 class, mm-hmm. can't find my keys. I'm like, this is strange. They're like literally nowhere to be found. I'm yeah. running late to and yoga. And your house is not very dirty. She's stressy. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go down. Maybe I left them in my car. I go down to see in my drive. I have a co- like a garage basically. I go to my garage. There's no car there. What happened in that moment? Were you just like so confused? Jaw on the floor. Yeah. Because I know I definitely parked there, but I had this. So I was trying to clock these events. I was like, I know I went in the house. I must have had my keys then. What the hell happened? The gardeners next door who were so, so sweet. I was like, hey, guys, kind of explain what was going on. They're like, we we didn't see anything, but um, the guy that owns the house next door has security cameras set up. We'll help you connect with him. So they were so sweet. Oh, they like really called nice. him for me. They like brought me up to his front door. My sweet, sweet neighbor was like, I'll check the surveillance. So I go to the police station, all of that. I come home. My neighbor says, I, I calls me and says he sees what happened. So at 430 in the morning, a gentleman was walking down the street, picks up the How keys. How kind of you to call him a gentleman. I wouldn't go as far as to call him that. Definitely not. So uh, he was definitely not a gentleman. Not a gentleman. He's a thief. The opposite. Yeah. A, a crime of convenience type of man is what he is. So the surveillance camera catches him picking the keys off from the ground. Then you off camera, you see lights going off. So I gather he's trying to identify where those keys belong to. Mm-hmm. And then he's pulling the car out. Now, here's the thing. When I was taking my trash cans out to the front, I have this personal pet peeve of putting trash cans in front of other people's cars. I think that that's rude. That's so I nice was like, you. I'm going to move them in front of my driveway and kind of over. And I like made a conscious decision to do that. Based off of where I positioned 
the trash cans is the only reason why I was able to inform what happened. So on the surveillance camera, the trash cans are in frame right. of what's happening, not the car. So he's pulling out and he realizes that the trash cans are blocking the driveway. So he gets out in frame of the, my neighbor's surveillance and moves the trash cans. Well, that was gentlemanly of him. Full in view, like basically right in front of the cameras. And then he makes a right turn instead of a left turn, which then if he'd made the left turn, he would have we would have not seen the car drive off, but he drives off directly in frame of the cameras. Mm-hmm. So I now, after like, eight hours of just being like, I lost my keys and I can't find my car. I now have the information as to what happened. Yeah. Obviously, that's like doesn't sweeten the scenario in any capacity, but it does make me feel like I'm not crazy. So thank God for that. And I also am so grateful for two other things. One, I emptied my trunk that night before we went to the El Cid show. What was in it? My computer. (gasps) My favorite cashmere sweatsuit, like just things that are like in my trunk, my workout clothes. You just like happened I to do it. I went to grab my computer and I was like, you know what? There's a bunch of junk in here. Let me just grab everything. Not drunk. Stuff you care about. Yeah, exactly. But I was just like, I might as well, while I'm here, grab some things. So right. that happened. And then if I hadn't, and I still can't I let go of the fact, if I hadn't have put those trash cans exactly where I placed them, yeah. I would not have seen any of this on camera. That is so insane. So... That's truly fucking insane. You know, we talk about with uh, Sasha about like synchronicities and coincidence and all of that. I am so grateful that, you know, those things synced up. And personally, like I am all for of evidence-based belief systems. I love that way of thinking. I think it's really grounded and really important and a beautiful lens that I personally subscribe to, but I can't help but feel like there's a little magic involved in like how that all went down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll see what happens. Black magic, bad magic? Bad magic. No, like I just like, regardless of how fucked up it is to get your car stolen, like I'm so happy I know what happened. I'm so happy that it, you know, it happened in the way it did. It wasn't a violent situation. So we're good. We're safe. We're good. It's a little traumatic in like your stuff getting taken, but also in like the police report, the insurance, the, you know, the like having to get your locks changed on your house. He reactivated his cell phone in your car, like crazy shit. Yeah. So it's been, I feel like it's going to be interesting. I feel like they have to find it at some point. Yeah. Right. That, or it's like in Mexico. Who right. knows? Right. So it's just been or a real, a real retrograde whodunit. What the fuck? That's you know? the most. So but that's retrograde. Your attitude is pretty stunning about it. I have to say. I feel way to roll with the kick in the dick, my friend. Yeah, kick in the tits and the dick. Mm-hmm. Let's say. Yeah. It's been. It's like it sucks, but it also. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. Like, what are you gonna fucking do? Exactly. But what's really funny is our first episode ever. Um. I talk about how my car got keyed and how, yeah. remember, I didn't know what happened with that. And then it was, it just like weirdly feels like something, it's like a tying in a bow. And we're going to learn about insurance, replacements. Mm-hmm. We're going to learn so much through this experience. So this is my STEM. This is my call to action. Has anyone gotten their car stolen? What happened with insurance? I'm, I haven't really been able to find out exactly what like the run of show after this type of event should happen. So 
If anyone has had a similar experience, well, let me the know. Run of the run-up show. <laughs> She's real Hollywood. <laughs> I'm so Hollywood. I've never had my car stolen, but I've had, I've had my window broken and everything stolen right. out of it. I almost felt like if that had happened, like glass breaking and my shit taken, that would also feel like more violating than it just driving off. I mean, right. watching that video of it drive off is so a weird. Real punch in the gut. So creepy. But. I didn't really feel too violated until the old Samsung I had in my car from 2015 that I was that was there with the intention of dropping it off at Best Buy for recycling that I thought I had cleared. Mm-hmm. Um, I found out was reactivated under my account. And I was like, that's when I f- like fully spiraled because it felt like someone clearly had to do a deep dig within that car to find it. And yeah. like actions were taken under my name. So retrograde. Yeah, that's like the absolute most retrograde. Do we need to change the name of our show because it's attracting <laughs> the absolute some crazy most shit. retrograde? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a new segment. Um, so yeah, that's what's going on. Cool with me. Well, we're gonna stay tuned. Yeah, and we're we're pulling for you. Thanks. We hope that that guy got what he needed out I of it. I think karma is alive and active in this world. Karma so with a C. Really? <laughs> exactly. Oh, and speaking of C words, I want to talk about <laughs> really quickly. Love to Cannibalist Magazine for featuring Stephanie and Yeah. And I, Stephanie and I. <laughs> or me. Actually, it's, it's me. Stephanie and me. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I know. Um, because we... I mean, look, mom, we're in a cannabis magazine. Yeah. I mean, what's better than that? Shows that check manifesting it out. is real. Check it out at your local Whole Foods. Um, we're so excited to be featured. Yeah. Check that out. Um, and one other thing I wanted to say before we wrap up, one of my all-time faves, James Lipton, I obviously know. host of Inside the Actor Studio, truly one of the great question askers of our time. Mm-hmm. He passed away. Yeah. So I just wanted to give some love to him. Thank you, sir. Also from Michigan. Yeah. Big Aww. fan. All right. What a great show. Thank you so much to Sasha Sagan. We're going to be giving away a copy of her book. It's so good. Oh, it's my favorite book I've read in such a long time. Check it out on So Retrograde. We'd love to hear about what you think about the episode and we'll have details of the giveaway. And yeah, thanks so much to everyone for tuning in. Okay. Namaste listening. Bye. Bye. Yes, that's a retrograde.